Welcome to Students in Charge. The students of Corbin Health and Rehab Group, or Charge Therapy, are here to bring you the latest research in the field of occupational therapy. Combining evidence-based practice with a fresh student perspective, they aim to promote best practice and competency within the field. Hope you're fully charged, because it's time for the Students in Charge. Welcome back to Students in Charge. As you may know, Charge Therapy is a telehealth occupational therapy company that specializes in hand, upper extremity, ergonomics, and home modifications. In this podcast, we aim to bring you insights into the field of occupational therapy and other interdisciplinary professionals. My name is Khaviva, and I am here with my Charge partners, Brielle, Grace, and Christina. Today, we will be talking to Mira. Hi, thank you for having me. So do you want to start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey to becoming a speech therapist? Sure. So my name is Mira. I'm currently practicing in Houston in Texas. This is home. I grew up here. So that's pretty fun. And I actually, you know, now I've been in the field for 14 years, which is hard to believe. It's gone by really fast. But uh, the reason I even found out about speech therapy is because my dad is a doctor in Houston. And he'd actually been working with speech therapists at the hospital. And so he said, hey, you know, I know you don't know what you're interested in becoming, you know, in the next couple of years, but why don't you check out speech therapy and see what you think about it. And then you can also see what occupational therapy and physical therapy does. And why don't you just, so basically I took two weeks at his hospital and I shadowed all three professions. And I have so much respect for what you guys do in terms of occupational therapy and so much respect for physical therapists. But honestly, I know that because those jobs are physically demanding, like I don't, I just kind of knew that wasn't really something for me. But the second I saw what a speech therapist does in terms of being able to help someone with communication, it just struck me right away. Like, hey, I wanna be that person helping someone in the hospital or there are tons of other settings we can work in, which I'm sure we'll get into later. But basically I just realized that, that, realized that I wanted to be the person helping someone with communication. That's a really great, a great story, great journey. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Uh, in terms of accent modification and um, like specializing in child language, like what does that mean? Like, how do you do that? Yeah, those are great questions. I realize a lot of people don't know what that means, so I can explain that for sure. So what's interesting about my career path is that, uh, like I said, I've been a speech language pathologist for 14 years, which by the way, a speech therapist actually means the same thing in case anyone out there wonders. A speechy, some people say SLP, speech teacher, they all mean speech therapists, all mean the same thing. Um, but what's interesting in terms of my career path is that, like I said, I've been a speech language pathologist for 14 years, but for the first five years, I actually worked with adults. In the last nine years, I've been working with children. So one of the areas I do specialize in that you mentioned, accent modification is on the adult side. So that's a very interesting area. It's an elective speech therapy service that oftentimes adults will seek me out to help them improve their accent, basically improve the way they're speaking so that people can understand them better in the workplace and socially. So to give a specific example of what that might look like is the last client I was working with a little while ago is actually a very high functioning individual who works in an oil and gas field actually in Houston. I'm not currently working with this client anymore. 
but he actually came to me and said that he wanted to work with me because he wanted people to understand him better. And oftentimes he, you know, had been working with many international companies, visiting people, you know, in different parts of the world and just generally communicating with a lot of people who English is not their first language, as well as some people who English is their first language. And so he and I were working on presentations. Man, he taught me a lot about oil and gas. As a speech therapist, that's not any thing that I know about. Very different than my own field. So that gives you an example of as to what accent modification really means. But most people, I would essentially say, would seek out my services specifically because they actually want to go higher up in the workplace. And they feel like the way they're speaking or their ability to be understood is actually holding them back from that you know, in particular. And child language, child language is a very different area. So language itself actually means two different things. So when we talk about language, we can mean how well a child understands language, meaning how well they're following directions, how well they're answering questions, could be yes, no questions or WH questions, like who, what, where, why, when, how. And then on the other side of language is, so that's considered receptive language, which again is how well a child understands language. Expressive language is how well a child or anyone for that matter can express themselves. So are they using nonverbal communication? Because guess what? Nonverbal communication is, by the way, ding, 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 that's still communication. Communication does not have to be verbal. So are they signing? Are they using words? Are they using two word phrases, three, four word phrases? Are they using full sentences? How is that person getting their intent across? And so when we say that I specialize in child language, it just means specifically that I specialize in working with children who are considered late talkers. So they're not talking when they should be, for example, or um, another area that you mentioned I specialize in is specifically working with children who have autism or autistic children. Um, and so that's also language also there also encompasses the area of social skills or sometimes what you hear referred to as pragmatic. So how well a child can maintain topic and conversation, how well they can read nonverbal cues of someone talking to them and lots of lots of other different things fall under social skills too. Wow, it's so special that you're able to help um, just people in general, like whether it be adults or children, really gain the confidence when they're communicating with others. It's a really powerful skill that speech pathologists have. And I think you showed us, um, we're just, we're able to demonstrate how important that is in all aspects of life, whether it be socially or um, in like their professional life. So that's really, that's really great. And um, it's so amazing you're able to do that. Um, you did mention that you had experience working with adults prior to like specializing in child language. Can you tell us a little bit more about um, the different populations that you've worked with? Sure. So when I was working with adults at the very beginning of my career, I actually worked in a couple of different settings. So the first setting I worked in is actually a cancer hospital in Houston. And there I was working in neuro rehab. So I was essentially working with people who are trying to I would say essentially figure out how to use strategies and particular cognitive strategies to help with their thinking after, you know, having received radiation or chemo, which I've seen, you know, firsthand and working with these adults that it can really take a toll on their energy, can take a toll on their 
I mean, they're thinking really, it's like things processing, like a lot of things really change, might take longer to think, you know, because they don't have as much energy, they don't have the stamina to do as much as they were. And um, some of what comes with, you know, being a speech therapist, and I think being in the therapy world in general, and I'm sure you see this in OT and PT as well, is also talking to family members and trying to help them understand the process of where their loved one is at. And I think that's a really difficult thing for anyone who's in that position. So I think it's important to empathize with them and think about how hard that must be because they're used to their loved one functioning at a, you know, like top of the ladder. And then unfortunately, sometimes things change. So I think just understanding that that can be a difficult process. And, um, you know, sometimes people may sound like they're defensive, but they're really not. It's just really hard to cope with. And I think they might come across a certain way, but you have to learn that it has nothing to do with you, like not to take things personally, because they're just dealing with a lot on their plate, um, being a caregiver, and they probably usually have their own job, they have medical bills and all these things that have piled up over time in a very short amount of time. Um, but I did also get a chance to work in a skilled nursing facility. So the population I worked with there, I would say more was along the lines of helping people um, who had difficulty with swallowing. So people who had dementia, Alzheimer's. Um, so a slight different population there. Also a very interesting area. Uh, I did do some cognitive therapy as well. So I did also help people with um, for example, short-term memory strategies or might be working on simple math skills. So when I say cognition, that's essentially the whole area of thinking. There are a lot of things that can fall under that area. But one of the things that I feel like people don't know about speech therapy is that yes, in the adult world, if someone has a brain injury or stroke or dementia or Alzheimer's, anything that affects their brain, yes, we can help on that side too. Uh, or like I said, even with swallowing, that's an area we can be consulted in and help with too. And then the last setting that I worked in uh, before I switched to pediatrics and started working with kids is I specifically for almost three years in Houston worked in inpatient and outpatient neuro rehab. And so I was specifically helping adults with brain injuries and strokes, actually in some cases going back to work, but most of all into reintegrating into the community. So our, pro so our um, mission and that particular company was to do community reintegration. And the really, really great thing about that was we would actually go out on field trips and see how these individual clients would do in the community. So literally, that means I would be driving, yes, a 16 passenger van, I know, kind of not, not the easiest thing in the world to do. But um, sometimes I would take field trips either out one-on-one -on -one with an individual client to see how they're doing, let's say at Target. And so if it's someone who's trying to go back to work when I want to look at their time management, I would do something like, hey, okay, you know, right now it's one o'clock at two o'clock. By two o'clock, I want you to accomplish the following seven things and come meet me at Target, you know, at the front of Target at two o'clock when you're done. Well, the thing is, you're trying to see if one, they can all get all of that done. Two, can they manage their time or are they late? And it's not really easy to be the bad guy or bad person and say, hey, you're five minutes late, because sometimes it was like, oh, that's not a big deal. And I'd say, well, may not seem like a big deal, but in the workplace, if you're late for an appointment, you're late to work, someone's probably going to ask you why, wonder what happened. Or if you're late to an appointment, someone's coming to see you. So sometimes I think it was, um, you know, explaining things in a way to where it related to real life that 
I think was interesting, but also just like I said, being able to go out to the grocery store or um, oftentimes we did group outings. And that's one of the things that was really great about, um, I did work with a team of occupational therapists, physical therapists, CODAs, PTAs. Um, you know, we had a whole team of people that would work with a group of clients and individually as well. And so sometimes we would team up and go on a group outing together and we would take multiple people out. And so, you know, we'd, for example, go to the main mall in Houston and we would sometimes split up the groups or we would send one person off on their own and split up the other groups between two of us. Um, usually if we did a big, bigger group, at least two therapists would go out together. So yeah, extremely functional things. And then, like I said, for higher level clients who are actually considering going back to work, I would actually talk to them about what that looked like in terms of work. We had a vocational counselor in-house that I would talk to in detail and she would kind of go through with them on what that would look like. And, you know, usually it was coming up with some kind of modified or modifications to the position maybe they had before if they couldn't do exactly what they're doing before. But I remember there was one client that actually presented to a whole group of us and he did a PowerPoint presentation and we were looking at that and I helped train him with that to see you know, is he ready to be able to talk about his job and explain it? Like that was one of the ways we could kind of look to see if someone was ready to go back to work. Like how well do they understand it? How well can they explain it? Can, you know, they explain this to people who don't know anything about the subject. So, so, so many different areas that were very interesting about that particular job. Yeah, it's really interesting how you can see the similarities between OT and speech therapy how you talked about not only looking at communication, but then also looking at the cognitive part of it or working with groups and really like holistic and functional perspective and then also including their caregivers as well. Um, with that, was there a favorite population that you've worked with and why? Ooh, that's kind of a tricky question. I think there's so many different populations that I would like to work with. I mean, these days, because I've been working with the pediatric population and children for the past nine years, I would definitely say that's my number one love of who I work with now. I do also, though, enjoy working with adults. I think with any population you have, there are different challenges. There are different things you can work on. I think what largely appeals to me about working with kids is that um, it doesn't really feel like we're doing work as such because it's play-based therapy. And so, you know, it's talking about like video games or the toys that they like. And, you know, I do in, in home sessions and I do online sessions as well. But what I like about being able to go back to in-home sessions now, because for a while I wasn't doing them because of, well, COVID's still going on, unfortunately. But for a while, especially when, you know, COVID first started, I really wasn't doing any of that. So I really just started that uh, pretty recently, actually, back in June. So what I like about doing the in-home sessions, especially with younger kids, is actually being able to have them play with their own toys in their own house. And um, I think therapy becomes more functional that way because you know, with the parent being there, even if the parent's not there, you know, let's say caregivers, their nanny or somebody else, um, then, you know, I can always communicate with them and communicate with the parents, but I like having them use what they already have because it's so much easier to say, okay, if you have bubbles, you can do the following three things. Oh, they have bubbles at home. So it's like, we're not relying on all the stuff I'm bringing with me, although I typically do bring stuff with me too, but I find that it's more functional to use what they have at home. So 
that's been really fun. And I also like doing online sessions too. Um, I can see anyone who's in the entire state of Texas because I am licensed in the state of Texas. And um, anyone who's outside of my, you know, in-home radius in Houston, Houston's a very big city. So anyone who's outside of the radius that I serve, definitely I can see them online too. So I'm really liking the hybrid option of being able to do both. That's awesome. That's good that you're that you like the online platform because that was such a big deal for the past year and a half, two years, yes. 10 years, however, it feels like forever at this point. <laughs> yeah, it does feel like it's been a long time. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so with these different types of populations that you work with, and you mentioned to us when we were emailing back and forth to schedule this interview that um, you have different types of um, models, I guess they're called, mm -hmm. such as DIR, and floor time, are you able to mm -hmm. what that stands for and how you implement that in your treatment? Sure, so DRI floor time, it's um, actually very, it's interesting. I feel like a lot more people know more about it than I thought, which is pretty cool. I'm learning some parents are actually only asking for therapists that are trained in DRI and floor time. So the best way I would explain what that model means is really just taking the child's lead. And I think that can look many different ways. I think there's a lot of confusion what that really looks like. Basically, I would say it's more child-centered or more individual-centered therapy. So essentially, that could mean, for example, a speech therapist, you know, uh, I love to talk. I mean, let's face it, that's probably one of the reasons I went into the field. But what I liked about getting the basic certification and I actually did it during the pandemic. So thankfully I was able to use time wisely during the pandemic. Um, what I like about what I learned is that you actually learn as a speech therapist or any therapist, I think it's really even great for parents or any kind of professionals to get trained in. You learn how to back off and talk less and to give more wait time. So I think one of the biggest things that all of us pretty much do, whether we're a parent or any kind of professional or therapist is that we do not give a child enough time to process. So now what I try to do is give them at least five seconds to process before I'm repeating a direction. Um, so that's definitely helpful. So increasing the wait time I find has really helped. Um, you know, it's really easy to jump in and kind of tell them what to do or repeat it. But sometimes that extra processing time really just gives them the time to then retrieve the words and say, you know, whatever they're going to say. And I think it's important to go with their interests. I think, again, oftentimes as any kind of professional or parent, we can think, okay, session X needs to look like this. I want to achieve the following five things. Well, it's good to go in with a plan. I'm not saying don't have a plan, but I think being mentally flexible is important. You know, maybe they don't like what's in your plan. Okay, well, maybe you can give them a choice then. You know, the goal is to engage the child to where they are enjoying what they're doing and their language naturally blossoms because of that. So it's a great model. I've learned so much and I think it's extremely useful. And I hope, you know, in the future, I'll continue to do courses. Like I said, I, I just did two courses so far. So I got the basic certification. Um, and they're actually, I think, couple of different levels. So I basically got trained in the first four, but I believe they're up to seven levels. So. But yeah, it's pretty interesting. And like I said, very useful because it teaches you a lot of things you can do differently, I think, no matter how long you've been a therapist. And I think it's great for parents too. Um, it even talks about how you can set up the environment in a certain way so that it's not so busy so that the child doesn't have everything already 
available to them so that they have to communicate more to get something as well. Just from listening on for, like of all your responses, it sounds like you have a lot of experience in many different fields. So is there any other additional certifications you need to work with your client populations? Um, I don't think there are any certifications you need as such. You know, the way I see certifications is, um, you know, I'm someone who's a lifelong learner and I just enjoy doing certifications and additional CEUs. Uh, continuing education units, you know, I always end up having more than I need, like I've gotten now. And during the pandemic, I got two ACE awards, which um, are through the American Speech Hearing Language Association. Um, and that's for doing a lot of continuing education units. I did over 70, you know, two couple within a couple months in a row. Um, another one I do have is I have a certification in autism. That one I find very helpful. I do also have a certification in telepractice or, you know, specifically known as teletherapy. So I find those to be very helpful because, you know, as we talked about during the pandemic, things moved largely online. Um, Zoom is the main platform I use. I love it. I've honestly tried using other ones. They haven't worked as well for me. Um, and I mean, yeah, I just think there's so much out there you can learn. Now I'm actually in the midst of doing another certification, which actually, actually I will say this one is the, probably the biggest one I've done so far. So ASHA, the American Speech, Hearing and Language Association only does certifications in four different areas. So one of the ones I'm going after is child language. So that's specifically specializing in language from you know kids who are you really young all the way up to when 21 years old and so that one you actually it's pretty intense because you have to do three different phases i have completed the first phase and it pretty much can take you a year or longer to go through all the phases i'm, I'm committed to finishing but essentially i would say it's almost like a dissertation because you have to do 100 continuing education units you write a resume um, and then you also have to write a fairly lengthy paper Although now they combine phase two and three, which I think makes it a little bit easier, but a fairly lengthy paper, you know, with citing research articles on what you think about language and then ending with a case study. So pretty much talking about, okay, specific child you work with now, you're working with now, worked with before. Well, how can you take all those language principles, the language theories and all the different things, you know, cultural linguistic features, how can you take all those things and explain it in the context of a case study? Wow, that sounds like a very rigorous uh, new certification that you're working on, but I'm sure that they're, the certifications that you've already done and the one that you're working on currently have really helped you to um, work specifically with this, these special and important uh, specializations or sorry, populations that you've touched on. So with all of that being said, um, you've like really just shown us uh, the different strengths and uh, the ways that speech uh, therapy can uh, help people become more confident in themselves and um, really grow in so many ways, both socially, professionally, and really any way you can think of. Um, but with all that being said, um, what do you think your favorite part about being um, an SLP is? Oh, man, like everything. All of the above? Is that, a, is that an option? <laughs> Uh, I would say my favorite thing is the wide diversity of things that I can do, because even in the same day, you know, going from in-home session to doing an online session to 
just all the different things, even though I'm primarily working with kids now, you're never working on the same thing. I mean, I might be working on having an, a child produce their R sound, but then later in the day, I might be working on social skills with a group of autistic children. I'm actually starting groups online on Zoom actually just this week for social skills. And that's you know, one thing I'm really passionate about and I also find very exciting. And I'm realizing that, um, you know, I think we're getting to this a little bit early because I cheated. I kind of looked at the questions. But one thing I think that's important as a business owner is to really look at what's lacking in what's lacking in terms of services that you can offer. And one of the things that I have figured out and that I've started to capitalize on is social skills groups. We, you know, even though Houston's a really big city, we actually don't have enough resources for that. And I'm now finding that parents are seeking that out. And um, now it's actually led me to partner with a local ice cream group, um, local ice cream store franchise, I should say, actually, it's called Howdy's Ice Cream. Uh, they just opened one in Katy, Texas, which is a suburb of Houston. Uh, but what's really great about that is they only employ adults with special needs. So adults who have autism, adults who have Down syndrome, or adults who have an you know intellectual disability. And by partnering the partnering with them, what I mean is that I've talked to them about doing a monthly gathering there for um, children and parents. And I just love the concept and uh, the franchise owner is a very nice guy and he was definitely open to doing that and so i think just finding ways that you can contribute to the community i think is a big thing as a business owner whether that's free or whether that's you know paid opportunities i think just being able to connect with your audience i think is a big thing knowing what people are looking for but to me the main thing is education and i say that in all caps because i think there's so many areas that as a speech therapist or as an occupational therapist or physical therapist that we can educate parents on or caregivers or teachers or other professionals about. So I think that's that's something that's really important. I love how you take your profession beyond the salary. You take it and into the real world and you're truly helping people on an everyday basis. And that I love how the question, what's your favorite part? And your favorite part was, oh, making lots of money or something like that. You know, it's real. It's not about that. And, you know, for us too, as occupational therapists, it's, you know, we go into this profession because to help people, not to mm -hmm. behind a desk and do whatever people do, but to really get out there and make a difference in people's lives. That's really, really, really incredible. Thank you for sharing that story with us about that ice cream store. That's so nice. And we've learned in school about other stores like that um, in uh, the East Coast area that have had similar models, which is just so incredible and just so awesome. That's great. That's so nice to hear. I feel like yeah. it's something we need more and more of. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I, I don't think it was specifically a ice cream store, but similar type of thing, maybe some mm -hmm. kind of restaurant, cafe type of type of um type of business but I love love hearing those those types of types of businesses but just to mention one more thing that I think is also really key about that particular franchise Howdy's ice cream that I was talking about not only do they employ all those individuals with special needs they actually help them even go higher up on the ladder if they want to do so I mean to me that's that's incredible I mean I wow I just have so much respect for that I mean and I actually had the chance to go there last week and I, 
I just love that place. I think they're doing such good things for the whole community of Houston, but also even beyond Houston, just showing people what can be done, I think is really big. Yeah, they sound 100% selfless and yeah. telling people what human beings should be like, setting uh -huh. an amazing example and just completely inspiring. I feel inspired right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, so nice. Um, kind of veering off a little bit from what we've been talking about, you mentioned um, a lot about the different other professions you've worked with, occupational therapists, physical therapists, uh -huh. and we were just wondering, um, based on all the different work sites that you've been at, how uh -huh. has the interprofessionalism differed based on when you were working in the hospital or working in, you know, outpatient or with home care? How has that, how has collaborating with like OTs, for example, how has that changed? based on the setting? Well, I think it changes based on the setting, just based on what you're seeing that individual client for. I don't like to use the word patient. I think it's an awful word, so you won't hear me use it. Patient to me just makes me cringe. Um, so I think it just depends on the setting. So when I was in a skilled nursing facility slash nursing home, I remember consulting with the occupational therapist on feeding. And so she would explain to me, you know, for example, if the person's able to feed themselves, what kind of assistive device they need. I remember at the time, I think she was explaining to me like what kind of spoon was helpful for that particular individual. And so then I would talk to her about swallowing and swallowing precautions. And I actually remember there were some times I think that we went in during lunchtime in the cafeteria and did like a joint session together, which I found really helpful. So we could kind of both see what the other person's doing. And then in the other setting that I mentioned that I worked in for almost three years when I was working with adults with brain injuries and strokes, that would be touching on other areas. But for example, every week at um, in that particular job that I had, the two occupational therapists would switch out on taking clients on a grocery store outing. And so then we would talk more about, okay, how did they do with the scanning, like visually, you know, how did that work? Like, did they see things on the right, left, or, you know, how did they manage your money? So it's kind of like we're, we're mixing the cognitive, the thinking piece of it with that too. And um, I, I feel like we didn't talk as much about the feeding and swallowing. I feel like that was probably in that particular setting, maybe more of a speech therapy thing, so to speak. So I think we had more collaboration on the cognitive piece. Um, but also to mention a little bit about physical therapy and how I collaborated with physical therapists in that same setting. And even when I was at other settings, to me, it was really important to learn about transfers. And I cannot stress the importance of that. Um, to me, that was something that I was always willing to ask for more training on if I was not comfortable on it. And that's one thing that was really great about working in a setting where you can collaborate with other professionals who are just like one door away, you know, a few feet away. If you have a question, you can go ask them when they're free. And so I remember doing what I liked about that setting is that all of us had to do transfer trainings with the PTA, with the physical therapist assistant. And like I said, I would just ask questions throughout, you know, like I remember just learning what the different um, types of assistance need, like what is contact guard? What does that mean? Well, I learned that it mean that I had to be close by. I didn't have to be hands-on on the person, for example. But for me, I'm such a visual person that I wanted to know what it meant, but I oftentimes wanted a demonstration. Okay, I need to walk this close. All right, I got it. Because uh, what would happen in that setting is that we all had sessions 
um, timed by the hour. And so I might be with a client for the hour and then they're getting up and I give them a couple extra minutes to get to the next session. So maybe I'm walking with them from the speech therapy office to the OT gym or to the lunchroom, for example. Um, so I think the collaboration was really great. And in that particular setting, we also had rounds in which all of us would talk about the clients. And so that was important as well. And also getting feedback from the MD or the doctor was great too. So to me in that particular setting, we had a lot of collaboration on a fairly, fairly frequent basis, I would say. Yeah, it's really interesting how you've collaborated with all these different professions throughout your time as a speech therapist. And you can see that you have so much, many different experiences, which I think has benefited you a lot. With that, have you ever had a challenging experience working as a clinician and how would you handle that situation? Oh, there are always gonna be challenges. I mean, <laughs> that's never gonna stop, especially being a business owner now, You know, owning my own business. I think you have different kinds of challenges too. I think it partially depends on the setting, but one thing I mentioned before is that as best as you can, try not to take things personally. Sometimes communication can be difficult. Sometimes you might think, hey, why is this client coming to see me all the time? And then in private practice, they suddenly just drop out. So I think communication can be a challenge, but I think it can be a challenge because we don't always try to take the time to understand where the person's coming from. And to me, empathy goes a long way. So for anyone out there who's a student or who's listening, they're new in the field, even if you're seasoned in the field, try to think about what it's like to be in that person's shoes. I mean, what would it be like to be a parent who has, for example, you know, typically the parents that I work with don't just have one child. They usually have at least two, sometimes more. So think about how much time they have on their hands. You know, think about the fact that they don't really have time to sometimes remember if they responded to your text message. Um, but to really answer your question, you know, sometimes there are, there are personality, I don't want to say conflicts, because that's not really the word I would say, but sometimes I think one person's personality can mesh well with a parent's style and one person's can, cannot. So in different um, settings that I've been in the past, you know, I actually sometimes some of the speech therapists and I would switch clients around based on requests. Sometimes I would have a parent request they didn't want to work with me anymore. They didn't want to work with so-and-so anymore. And so then I would talk to the parent, but I would never say, oh, I'm so sorry you had a bad experience with so-and-so because that's not really it. It's like sometimes people communicate differently. They have a different experience with you versus someone else. Um, so I think, like I said, the biggest thing is not to take it personally. Um, I did have someone in the past make a a not very welcome remark about me that I honestly did kind of take personally. And I, I had a little bit of trouble getting over that, but eventually um, my boss at the time handled the situation and I appreciate her support and I didn't have to work with that parent anymore. So sometimes you will have people make remarks that are really not acceptable. And I think that's where you have to stand your ground in terms of that's you know not someone that you maybe want to be working with anymore if they're being inappropriate. Um, but other than that, I think it's just trying to understand where they're coming from. If they sound offensive, it's not really a personal attack on you. It's just they have millions of things they're trying to figure out at the same time. It's almost like a puzzle. Like, how do you put everything together? Yeah, that's a really great point. And uh, it's easy to forget uh, sometimes it's easy to forget that point that you made um, and to make assumptions too of what um, you think is happening of the situation when really there's like a lot of stuff going on in the background so 
um, thank you for reminding us of that. But I also just wanted to thank you um, for all the advice and for sharing your experience with us and, and your journey. And is there really any final advice that you have for our listeners regarding their journeys to becoming licensed clinicians or people who are currently practicing? I think the biggest thing to me is do something that you love. Doesn't matter what that is. Do something that you'll wake up in the morning and say, man, I love what I do. Just do it for the right reasons and that'll show you'll be successful no matter what. Um, and other than that, I would say one for anyone out there who's listening, who is a speech therapist student or very early in their career, even if you're an occupational therapist, physical therapist, don't feel like you have to know what you're going to specialize in right away. Honestly, I, it took the pandemic a national pandemic for me to figure out what I feel like I want to specialize in. And really the pandemic is still going on. So technically you could say I haven't finished, you know, answering the question of what do I want to specialize in? But anyways, all that to say, don't, don't stress about it. You'll figure it out as time goes on. And maybe you want to be a generalist. Maybe you kind of want to do everything. That's also okay too. You're still going to have, you know, people who, aren't able to do all the, all those things. So eventually if you own your own business, they'll refer to you because of that. And uh, lastly, I would say that just keep good relationships with anyone you come across, you know, people you worked with in the past. I mean, I think that's always important never to burn bridges. I think that's just a good life lesson, really. I mean, no matter what, no matter what has happened in the context, I think, you know, at some point you realize, hey, that was a, you know, someone I can refer to in the future or, um, you know, I mean, you never know. It's like everybody somehow ends up being connected. Your kids may end up going to the same school or something. I think we all think that the fields that we're in are very big and they are big, but even in a big city like Houston, you know, you still, you meet people that you worked with before and, you know, or people who move to another city. I mean, I think it's just important to keep good connections with everyone. Um, personally, but as well as in the workplace and people you worked with in the past. Wow, I think that's a really great note to end on. Um, thanks so much for being so open with us throughout this, uh, the course of the podcast. I know it has helped me and I'm sure the rest of the people like us at Charge um, be more open to new possibilities as we um, begin our careers as future OT clinicians. Um, but in closing again, thanks so much for joining us for our podcast today. We hope our listeners appreciate learning about speech therapy and the amazing benefits it has on all different populations. Mira can be reached on her Facebook and LinkedIn at Super Speech Solutions LLC, uh, her Instagram at Super Speech Solutions, or her website, superspeechsolutions.com. If you want to learn more about charge therapy, we can be found at our website, chargetherapy.com. C, uh, charge is spelled C-H-R-G, the word therapy.com, or you can find us on our social media at Charge Therapy and students in charge for more tips and tricks. Charge Therapy provides ergonomic adjustments and home modifications through both telehealth and in person. Check us out and contact us if you would like to learn more. Thank you all for listening today. Have a great day.